Welcome to Sinner's Take, another Catholic Guys podcast, of which we are the worst. I'm Alec. I'm Eddie. And I'm Bobby. And today we're going to be talking about wings versus chains, and whether we view the faith as wings that will take us to new heights, or chains that are weighing us down. topic we're, we're on today is um, really kind of how do you do how do you view freedom how do you view religion in light of freedom what does it mean to be free and there's very much kind of the modern sense of freedom as I can do whatever I want whenever I want no one should be able to hold me back from anything but there's a more classical and religious understanding of freedom is that it's a freedom for something freedom's not just an end in itself if I end up in a meadow and I can move in 360 degrees any direction I want okay that's not the destination. Like, I want freedom. Okay. Imagine yourself in that spot of total freedom, but that's not the end goal. Like, that's not the point of living is to arrive at freedom. Freedom is the road which we ought to be traveling on towards a good. And so freedom rightfully looked at in the Catholic kind of classical tradition is freedom to do, to excel, to be the best, to be virtuous, to be excellent to be most in union with God, to be most free. And not in a way that removes my freedom, but really my freedom is used to excel. And that that will require discipline. That will require um, saying no to certain things so that you excel later. And I really think it's like you need to embrace chains to get the wings. Hmm. But we'll come back to that later. Hmm. Uh I think, yeah, and it can be almost overwhelming with the idea of, like you said, the meadow with 360 degrees. It, If you have infinite pathways to go down, a lot of times we just end up standing still. I think G.K. Chesterton says in Orthodoxy, he says, all roads lead to Rome, as that quote is very common, but he says, which is why many people never reach it, is because there's almost too many ways to arrive at faith that people just, they have so much freedom that they don't know which path to take, and they struggle with that. But... I think it is. It's a, it's a big question how we phrase, how we frame the faith when looking at anything, when especially when talking to people who are maybe not in the faith, how you are viewing your your faith will affect if you can go the distance with it. Because if you are just viewing the faith as if it's something that you have to engage in, like I have to go to church on Sunday, I can't lie, I can't do this, or else I'll go to hell, eventually your faith is going to fall away. You can only white knuckle your way through anything for so long. If you don't eventually fall in love with it, if you don't eventually do it out of a choice because you are willing this because you see good in it, you eventually will just fall away. A lot of times it's kind of, we look at people, especially in high school where they're, they're saying like, I have to, I can't hang out with the people I want to hang out with. I can't do what I want to do on the weekends. I can't do what I want to do on my phones. And he says, like, I hope you're happy, God, because I'm miserable. (laughs) And if that's the way you view the faith, you're going to lose it at some point in your life because it's after a while, it just becomes easier just to say, I don't believe in hell anymore. I don't believe in God anymore. If all God is is this guy who's like policing my every action. And eventually when I die, he's going to say, sorry, dude, you were you were doing all right. But then you cheated on your test in fifth grade and now you're going to hell forever. (laughs) And if that's how you view the faith, it's just going to be like, well, then I just don't believe in hell because one, that's actually very contrary to who God is. So that idea of God almost doesn't even make sense anyways. 
So it's hard to have faith in him. Uh, yeah, to kind of go off of that, I don't even think this is just in faith or people of the faith. I think it's a widespread thing of are we motivated by fear or are we motivated by opportunity? And two people could come up to the same situation and uh, approach it very differently. And I think it, it does affect the legs of our engagement in it. If you're and this this happens a lot in sports. Are you motivated by the fear of losing and your dad yelling at you after or your coach making you run or by the opportunity of becoming great at something of accomplishing something of working together of winning whatever it is there's a big difference between running from something and running to something and i think we all need the discipline or the fear maybe to get moving in the first place before we come to a mature understanding of the opportunity presented for us to excel if we ever arrive at that maturity like i think some people perpetually stay in that fear and they don't enjoy life they don't enjoy the faith they, they may not even enjoy their sport it's just a constant i don't want to get yelled at <laughs> by the coach instead of i'm doing my best and i can't always control the outcome but i'm going to get in the game and c.s lewis talks about that actually in uh, one of his letters from the weight of glory which as you guys know i'm very fond of but he talks about how that necessity almost of that first level of fear because you can't even really appreciate the good of something mm -hmm. until you're a little bit further into it. So, for example, he uses the analogy of Greek poetry being the best poetry, which he says in the story that he's like, for the sake of the analogy, we're going to say that Greek poetry is better than English poetry. Not saying, not making a statement on whether or not it is or not, but he says a kid needs to grind through learning Greek because his parents are telling him to. Even if the kid really has a desire to like, he's a romantic at heart and he wants to learn poetry, he can't comprehend the importance of learning Greek because to him, he's just learning a language that he doesn't care about that no one speaks. And so his parents have to force him to. And then after a while, though, once he starts to actually develop in that, he actively starts to choose it and he sees the, all the benefits of it. So like you said, the importance of that first stepping stone of saying like, okay, like I do kind of have to pull the thorns out of my side and it hurts a little bit to engage in the faith for the first time and maybe even motivated out of fear of fear of going to hell or fear of, you know, disappointing my parents. But then as you get a little bit up and you can kind of start to see the view of which you are climbing, you can go, Oh, like I want to keep going on this. And that's, that's the, the lie of sin is that again, I want to, I want to be free to do whatever I want, whenever I want. And that, will entail then a turning from God. The nature of sin is not so much I have broken rules as it is I've broken a relationship as I have darkened my ability to be excellent because I have fallen to more base animalistic behaviors. Um, I have, again, been so self-centered. I become like a golem that just mm -hmm. uh, closes in on myself and I become emaciated like a spiritual skeleton that doesn't care about anyone else. I just want my own pleasure like sin makes us less free when seen rightly for what it is. And it's hard because we're in a culture that really glorifies that freedom at all costs has lost the language and understanding of sin, period. So like lost really a, a faith in a being I'm accountable to. It's much easier to believe in the force or a nebulous universe because that also makes no moral demands on me to change my life, to act better, etc. A God that knows me by name, I think we crave that as much as our culture right now is just trying to like run and shake that off and shake off any history of that.
that's the cruel nature of sin where it just it calls you in disguising itself as freedom and it just drags you deeper and deeper until the point where all freedom is lost and you become a slave and it's just i mean that's right away from the garden that we know you know saw that it was good they saw that the the eating of the tree of knowledge and good and evil was was a good thing and they sought after it and ever since now we are completely slaved to our own sin yeah those are bad chains but to go back to the whole like wings versus chains what is it i think chains can be a good thing in the sense of discipline like i can sit down at a piano and say i'm free to do whatever i want and i just start banging away on the piano okay well you don't know what you're doing and it's not <laughs> going to be beautiful music at all i watch my two-year-old do it it's <laughs> who are I, you to judge i tell yeah, you yeah, what is piano. beauty what is beauty I need the discipline. I need to practice. I need to understand. I need to say no to just banging away at the thing to begin to understand the rules and get good at it. And that's for any sport. If I go to baseball and I just start playing by football rules on the field and start tackling the first base guy, it will not work. I need to learn the rules and patiently improve. And then I start to go on autopilot where I'm not thinking about everything. I can really be free to play. I'm free to play the piano and actually create my maybe my own song once I know the rules of the game. So the chain is the chain of discipline I think is necess- is needed to get to the wings of freedom to excel. Again, whether that's in sports and music or in the holy life. And I think that's too it's that's what the saints do. They have disciplined themselves. They had said no to certain things. They have improved in prayer to become excellent at being human at being whole integrated and thus holy and i think it's about the, the last thing in my head here is like the chains we wear who we've done the marian consecration we have chained ourselves to our lady not in a a slavery of giving up my own free will or giving up becoming less but it's it's a discipline and a reminder of like we are chaining ourselves to the Lord so that we can be excellent so she can intercede for us so that really we're reminded of what she's always doing day in day out for us whether we know or not appreciate or not Uh, I was reading some account of an exorcist recently and he was saying the demons that have spoken about those who have consecrated themselves to Mary they can barely get in Mary has such divine like force field on those individuals like again we've done it years ago how often we take that that motion for granted? How how well that guys respond to that too? Even just at, at a high school level, who can't even really comprehend what it is, but almost you can see that people as they're growing up seek crave discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because we 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 advertise we do at the high school that uh, Bobby and I work at. We advertise the Marian consecration, and they because guys will come up. Why is everyone wearing those chain bracelets? And we we call it the chain gang and we'll say like all aboard for the chain train and he says it not me yeah <laughs> and they respond very well to it they respond like the idea of that that discipline we say like because we explained to them you gotta do 33 days of reflection and then uh you basically give your life over to mary they're like oh that sounds really cool because they, you can tell that people seek good discipline in their lives to jump off of that it's making me think of something uh i had in a psychology class back in college which is about flow in performance where you have to match the difficulty of what you're doing to your skill level so guys who are ready to be pushed at the level of the consecration maybe they weren't a year before we do have to push ourselves 
in order to get to that state of what, like you're saying, once you've mastered it to a certain degree, you need to continue to push and not get complacent in where you are. Because it is really easy to get focused on a small good as opposed to a big good, you could say. Yeah. I was having a conversation the other day where we were talking about staying in bed and how there's good in staying in bed. I want to rest. Rest is good. But there's not as much good as getting up, working, spreading love, and participating in the world instead of just being so sedentary. And it, I think that it really can something doing enough smaller goods can actually become bad in a, in a sense. And people get so fixated on those words, good and bad. But a lot of times in philosophy, you're, when we say you're doing something bad, it, it can mean that it's actually a good, but it's not the best good. So therefore it is bad because you should have done something better. Like the example I, to explain that concept to people in my classroom, a lot of times I say, they're like, I'm doing something good. How could this be bad right now? Like they'll always want to say like, I want to like, I want to watch YouTube in class right now. And I'm like, okay, that's not like you shouldn't. They're like, but you, watching YouTube is good. And I'm like, but it's not the best good that you should be doing right now. Because you could say like you're walking along the road and you see a piece of trash on the ground and you bend down and pick it up, throw it away. Good. Very good that you did that. But what if you see walking down the side of the road and you see a baby in the middle of the road and a piece of trash in the middle of the road and a car is coming? And all you do, instead of picking up the baby and pulling him out of the way of the car, you pick up the piece of trash and throw it away and the baby gets hit by the car. Probably a bad thing because you didn't do the best good that you could have stretch that across all things if you only stay in bed all the time you are actually doing a bad thing if you only stay at the lowest level and never discipline yourself and push yourself further you are actually going to fall into vice um, and i think that that's essentially the faith in general is we get really comfortable with our own levels of happiness in our own life you know youtube and pornography and going out and hanging out with my friends on the weekends gives me a hundred units of happiness a day or a week or whatever it is. And a lot of times God says, okay, now give up all of those. Give up all a hundred units and open up your hands and I will give you back a thousand, two thousand, three thousand units back exponentially higher and higher. But we get really attached to the, what we know and what we have. And it's very difficult for us to let go of it, especially when the faith is phrased all the time as rules. It's just rules and rules and rules, but I think that when you hold on to just those your own level of comfort and happiness and don't push yourself onto greater things, it eventually makes you boring as a person. Sin makes you boring, and I tell that to my students all the time too. I'm like, because they all want to be unique, they all they all want to be their own people. And I say, I'm like, yeah, but here you are, you're just on your phone all day. Everybody's on their phone all day, and they say that or they because they'll come up to you and they'll be like, like I'm really into like this YouTube channel. I'll be like, doesn't matter what YouTube channel you're into because you're just spending all day on YouTube, just like everybody else. They, they're craving identity and they're craving individuality, but they're just all, I keep, I tell them all the time. They're just, you're doing exactly what the rest of the world is doing. You're listening to the same music as everyone else is doing. The way that you talk badly about your friends behind their back is the same that everybody else is doing. Mm. And this sin, this comfort that we have just makes you bland and boring. And you contrast that with the lives of the saints, as Bobby was talking about a little bit earlier, that they, these are the people who, disciplined themselves and then found that the faith was incredibly beautiful. You know, the GK Chesterton quote that was the third time he's come up in this conversation uh, where he says, it is not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and not tried where it's difficult to, to discipline yourself and engage in the faith 
And so therefore people don't want to try to do it. But people who do try and live it out to the fullest, they find that their life is completely fulfilled. Each one of the saints. And that's why, again, going back to my students, I tell them that all the time. I say, sin is all the same. You guys all struggle with the same 10 sins. But if you contrast that with the life of the saints, they're all so radically different. Because you look at the way that sin boils down to every single, you know, movie star, rap artist, billionaire, so many that how often do we hear another one of them overdosed? Unfortunately, it's it's so sad. How many of them struggle with depression? How many of them struggle with mental disorder, with eating disorders? And they are incredibly annoyingly vanilla compared to one another. They all they all struggle with the same things, but then the saints, they're just so beautiful. Each one of their stories is so unique and different because the way that God's love affects your life will take you in a completely different direction in something that is beautiful. Uh, Bishop Barron uses the analogy of a stained glass window that God's love hits everybody exactly the same way, but whatever light that you are, it shines through in a completely beautiful new way. And everybody is designed to be a different part or a different color or a different part of the image of the stained glass window. Mm. And together when God's love hits all of them, it creates a beautiful image. But if you just throw sin, if you just throw mud on the windows, it doesn't matter how much of God's love hits it. Every, it's just going to be the same as light hitting a, a wall well and it doesn't hit it wouldn't hit just one sliver of glass mm. it would hit multiple like how sin is communal it's not just when i sin it's just on me and no one else is affected by it it's like even if it's a per private personal sin i'm doing in my bedroom my behavior changes how my joy diminishes and that ripples out to people that you know, I would usually smile at or have time to that now I walk by or I'm just enclosed in myself because I'm just depressed and beating myself up. Like, I just thought of that when you're talking about the stained glass. I have a priest friend who was over the other day and he just like said that by like hearing confessions. He's like, you can't impress me. <laughs> like, you cannot shock me. Uh, he's been a priest for like maybe three years, but he's like, I have heard it all right already. Like, people think that their sins are the most shocking thing he's like no like i've i've heard everything like it, it again you how banal how unimpressive sin is and in the end yeah it's like I, I struggle with porn that's great you and everyone else that's coming here today like <laughs> like you are not unique in that sense like yeah that just came to mind yeah and i think uh we have a, a friend he's our friend's dad alec and i but also he's a friend of i I think, I think he's a really so. cool guy. His name yeah, is his name is Deacon Mark, and he uses this analogy. And I don't know if he made it up himself or he stole it and uh, from somebody else, but I stole it from him, and <laughs> I use it in my classroom all the time, and it's very effective. But it's the idea is when you're looking at the Ten Commandments, so often they're just phrased as these are the rules you have to follow, and that does so much damage to the psyche of it. Because going back to what you said earlier, is it's all about relationship. You're in relationship with God. When you are in relationship, there's certain things that you have to do, certain things you have to give up just by nature of the relationship. Like to be in a relationship with a, another person, like a romantic one, you have to give up a large amount of your time. You have to give up a large amount of your finances, a large amount of your who you can talk to and in which ways. But that's not a bad thing. You don't see those like, oh, look at that laundry list of rules I have to do. It's just the nature of the relationship. So what you do is in the activities, you take like a whiteboard or whatever and you say like, hey, you in the audience or the crowd or the classroom or whatever it is and say, do you have a little sibling or a little cousin or someone who you care about a lot? If you were to never see them again, what is one, what is one piece of advice that you would give them for, for whatever reason you're never going to see them again? They say like, uh, 
stay in school or don't do drugs or be yourself or don't worry about what other people think about you or love everyone you meet or do what makes you happy. Like be, do what you're passionate about. And I say, you know, you write them all on the board and you say like, okay, now what if I were to word this as thou shalt stay in school, thou shalt do what you are passionate about. Thou shalt love others. Thou shalt love yourself. And then you say, does that sound familiar to anything else to any of you guys? And they all go, Oh, it's the 10 commandments because that's what they essentially are is that God knows our hearts. God knows our human nature. God knows most importantly, our broken human nature. And he knows that if we don't do what he is advising us to do, we are going to end up miserable. And so he says, here's my 10 best advice that you should follow in order so that you may be free. Top 10 tips. Top 10 <laughs> tips. Number seven will blow your mind by Jesus. Well, by God to Moses. I love clickbait. <laughs> like you said, like if it's a relationship with someone that I love, I'm not automatically thinking, oh, I'm, I'm losing this many hours. Oh, I'm losing this. This is my finances. I'm losing. We don't focus on the negatives when you're in love. You can't wait to spend time. You know, you probably watch your money trickle down, but you're not like, <laughs> woe is me. You're like, oh, wow, this person actually loves me back. Like giving yourself to that. When you're love, you're you're in that freedom, and God respects our freedom. That's the the paradox too of like, could God have created a world where we couldn't sin, we couldn't choose evil? You bet. Why didn't he? I don't know. <laughs> and people like, oh, if only like he would take away our ability to do evil. It's like, okay, well, even like secular philosophers through the ages have reasoned like, to be free is to allow for evil. Like you cannot create us free but then have us never be able to choose evil or selfish decision because then we're by default not free. We're just robots on a track that can't choose otherwise. It's the, the mystery of God risk our freedom knowing what we're capable of for good and for bad. I mean, Hitler's the go-to. Like, Hitler could have been a great man. Hitler, with the passion he had, he could have been a saint. Mother Teresa could have been a horrible woman. Um it's not all up to chance. Like, you know, so much of what we endure, what gets put on us in life, what we go through and absolutely our own decisions and how we respond and react to what life throws at us is what's going to make us into a more excellent creatures or again, animalistic, self-centered. Yeah. There's a, poops. there's a sense of responsibility that comes with that. And it's not just whatever happens to me and it's not just everything's out of my control, but or it's to, never my fault. Or, right, yeah. yeah. But to take ownership of saying the good that I do is a choice that I make and the bad that I do is also a choice that I make and mm -hmm. facing that. Um, to come back to the commandments, I think I've spoken with some people who the word commandments is what throws them off and those are the kind of things that they like to focus on. So I've found it personally more fruitful when it's not a, a new discovery but leading with love instead of leading with the commandments has been more effective in getting people interested with the faith, right? We talk about treating it as a relationship and falling in love. I think Bishop Barron has a really good baseball analogy, but I don't totally, I don't care for baseball. <laughs> say that now. Um, so I don't know if one of you wants to take over before I butcher the analogy. The idea is that if, you know, his, he grew up watching baseball and loves it, and he says if you want somebody to love baseball as well, you don't start with the most obscure rules. There is a rule in baseball called the infield fly rule, where if you have two runners on and there's a pop fly, the runner inside that stays inside the infield, the runner is automatically called out. For it sounds like that sounds so unfair to the runner. It's actually for the runner's sake because the what the fielding fielders can essentially do is they can manipulate the play 
with the way base running is. I don't have time to go into all of it. But the way base running works that you could make it look like you're going to catch it and drop it and turn it into a double play or even a triple play because they don't know what to do. So you've, very ar- you, you've already lost, Alec. Yeah, yeah. it's probably I'm the mo- one of the most complicated rules, maybe in sports. Uh, and if you just be like, all right, you like, want to learn about baseball? Let me tell you about the infield <laughs> fly rule. Uh, they're going to say, okay, that pass. I don't want to hear about that anymore. He says, if you want to get someone to love the sport, take them to a baseball game. Buy them some peanuts and Cracker Jacks <laughs> and watch. They won't care if they ever get back. <laughs> baseball. Um, they, it's the idea that you have to lead with love. You have to lead with something, the beauty of something, the love of something. The flow of it. Listen to the crack of the bat. Yeah. Like, just the environment. Like, soak that up. Fall in love with kind of the atmosphere, the rhythm, the game itself. Then we'll get to the rules. Mm-hmm. Almost. Yeah, and they'll, and they'll make sense. After and you start playing as well, not even just watching, but you start playing, and then the rules will make sense, like you said. So once you're that base runner and you get called out, then the rule will make sense why you need that yeah. fly rule. Exactly, infield fly rule. <laughs> well, yeah, if, exactly. If I sit back and just read the scripture, read the commandments, and then I never actually put it into practice. I just keep doing what I've been doing, living self-centeredly. Yeah, they just look like outside rules trying to take away who I am. But then you start living it. You start living generously. John Paul II, before he was Pope, had a heavy hand in some of the Vatican II documents. And Gaudium et Spes, he wrote, man can only find himself through a sincere gift of self. Once we start living in that way, giving ourselves away to others, we naturally receive more and we are happy and we realize I'm meant to be a gift. I'm meant to give myself away in service and just being present to other people, not just live for myself. It's like, oh, now I get it. This is what this is what God is. Yeah, and it's almost a necessity. That's why it's so important for us to be good Christians, mm-hmm. to show what it's like to be a man of love who can and see the benefits of it. Be like, this person's really joyful. This person's really loving. Exactly. And the idea is because then they're going to seek, how do I get that? Because they'll see the outcome. And it's like it's the same thing with any board game. You know, I love playing Settlers of Catan, and I've tried to, I've basically got it down to an art form on how to explain the rules. But usually about halfway through explaining the rules, the person's just like, okay, you know what? Let's just play and I'll figure it out. The idea is that if all you do is give them rules, 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 they're not going to really want to play. But as you play, you go like, the rules start to come alive. They, they make sense. It's like, oh, I see why that rule's there because if that rule isn't there, it'll affect the way that I'm playing right here. So as you play the game or as you engage in the faith, you're going to have to give things up. You say like, I like, oh, I want to keep, I want, I'm really joyful. I'm really at peace right now because I'm in a relationship with God. And you'll be like, oh, you know what? I do need to give up that bad habit. Oh, you know what? I do need to give up this bad habit. And as you continue to go on, you'll continually cut it out like dead weight, but you'll see it for a greater purpose. Yeah, there's. I mean, we could go off another hour on some of that stuff, but as we start to land the plane, um, it's a long road. Again, to learn the piano, one does not do it in a, in a day, or the guitar, or a guitar hero. You know, <laughs> it takes practice. Uh, and certainly in the spiritual life, it's not, I go into the chapel once and I'm done, or I have an amazing retreat or for me, again, it was a youth group in high school that they were, there was a joy there. I'm like, I don't know why you guys are so happy to be a church, but there's something about this that I'm not seeing anywhere else. And I kept going back and I, you know, came for the girls and the donuts, but Mm -hmm. kept returning and tapping into that joy and realizing, Oh, it's Jesus. Oh, Oh my God. Oh my God. You're real. (laughs) Like this whole thing, this whole story is real. It's a long road and they're like exercise or anything like there's periods of plateau where you just feel stagnant. Maybe you need to change it up. Um, you know what your your exercises, so to speak. Um, there's falls, there's there's heights, but it's the long road. 
and we have to endure. We have to, we have to lean in because again, I think of the disciples saying, Lord, you have the Lord to who else are we going to go? And I have a priest friend who he asked, like, show me something better. Like I've tried every drug known to man. I was a partier. I've tried this, that, and the other. And then I'm presented with a Lord that loves me, that knows me by name, that created the cosmos so that we could be here. And that wants me to know, love him, serve him. Like show me something better that he was forgiven my sins. Like show me something better and I'll, and I'll hop on that. I'll take that. I'll whatever. He's a priest now. And now, but he'll tell guys like, this is why I went all in. Not because it took away my freedom because it made me finally free. So if there's anything just going forward with all of this is that when you're talking to someone about the faith, it's really easy to take the high road and say, or like well, what you think is the high road. We're like, you need to do this, 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 all these rules, but you're going to lose them. No one's going to want to change their life. But if you welcome them into your heart, welcome them into your, your joy. And you frame this relationship as, I mean, this faith as a relationship that will take you to new heights. Like we talked about wings, bringing you to places that you've never been. They will realize that what it, there's many things in life that are holding them back and they'll get rid of them as they choose to want to. And that is the most important thing. When you're trying to evangelize to anybody, you're not trying to make yourself seem better. You're trying to save their soul and bring make them into a saint. And so whenever you're approaching some sort of conversion experience for somebody is patience and love. Yeah, so pu- push this, push that, the, the faith, push that relationship with God before you try to overwhelm them with crazy deep theology or uh, a laundry list of things that they can and can't do. And I think you will have much more success in your relationships. All right, Bobby, anything else to toss in? I got nothing. Thank you for listening. We'll, uh, you'll hear us in the next one. You'll hear us in the next one. <laughs>